0: Here we are purposeful beings throwing ourselves into goals enthusiastic about all kinds of things you know but we're just here for no reason it doesn't add up to anything
1: Welcome to this episode of the Here and Now podcast. My name is Dave Mons, and my aim is to share big ideas from science and the humanities to get your thinking and to help you make sense of the world. Joining me today is Professor of Metaphysical Philosophy at Kiel University in the United Kingdom, Dr. James T'Atalia. Dr. Dettaglia describes his main interests as understanding and enhancing awareness of the nature of philosophical inquiry, which he feels centres on the question of the meaning of life. Dr. Tattalia has authored several books, including A Defense of Nihilism, which I discussed briefly in episode 86, as well as Philosophy in a Meaningless Life, and most recently, Philosophy in a Technological World, Gods and Titans. In our conversation, we discuss what a modern-day philosopher does and the role of philosophy in society. Then we dive into Dr. Tattalia's thoughts on nihilism. We cover what nihilism is and what it means for our day-to-day lives. We speak about the human search for meaning and purpose and how to situate ethics and morality in a meaningless universe. We also discuss how secular philosophy can go exist in a religious world and the difference between evaluative and descriptive statements. And finally, he introduces his philosophy of idealism where experience transcends reality. From this conversation with Professor Tatalia, and through reading some of his work, I've found a more comfortable acceptance of nihilism and I hope that from this conversation you might also reach a similar place. I hope you enjoy it. How do you describe yourself as a philosopher? What, what do philosophers do And in- 2022, now that perhaps they might not have done in the times of Plato, or have we reimagined what it means to be a philosopher today?
0: Well, I think there was a time when philosophers taught you a way of life. I think certainly that was true back in ancient Greece. So if you joined Plato's school, or the Stoic school, or the Epicurean school, you'd be taught a certain way of living. Uh, a philosophical way of life, which Socrates tells us is the best way of life. You know, the unexamined Mm. life isn't worth living, etc. I think that that notion has certainly disappeared to a certain extent. A philosopher has become a kind of academic who teaches rather like being a maths teacher or an English teacher. That's certainly the, the situation we're in now. In modern universities, you're often expected to demonstrate impact um, you know, by talking to the public rather than like doing a podcast or something like this, mm. um, which I think would have been an odd idea for somebody like Plato because they'd be, you know, they, they'd be out in the community meeting people, talking to them. That would be part of their job. So the fact that now uh, has to be required of philosophers, I think mm. is probably a product of the fact that the discipline became rather insular. Um, mm-hmm. And technical, um, and I've got various thoughts about why that might be. So, in a, in a sense, that's why I like a topic like the meaning of life, because because um, I'm opposed to that kind of insularity. I can't mm. see the point. Well, I say I can't see the point. In some circumstances, I can see the point, but I'm I'm suspicious, or at least I don't think it's right for me to be writing very technical discourses that only other professional philosophers can understand. It's not really what I want to do with my life. Um, Mm. I want to, I want to, I want to think philosophically and try and understand things, and I want to, you know, try and share that understanding with other people who might, you know, find get a kick out of thinking about these ideas. So, a topic Mm. like the meaning of life is something that interests me because I think it's something that is of natural interest to human beings. Um, I think it's a shame if philosophy stops talking about that sort of thing and focuses exclusively on Interpreting the latest scientific experiment, you know, trying to um, work out a theory of reference in language that, you know, is so technical that nobody else knows about it. Or in other traditions, writing in prose that's so completely incomprehensible that people debate about whether it actually means anything or not.
1: I think people who may have approached philosophy directly, I think there's perhaps layers of philosophy, right? There's uh, the original texts themselves. Um, generally translated, if, of, often uh, obviously if they're older. Uh, a lot of continental philosophy, of course, and then there's debate around the translation of certain phrases, particularly um, ones where they introduce a lot of uh, new words, which they uh, seem to be want to do from time to time. Uh, and then you have the um, philosophers or the who popularize certain topics, uh, and bring these down into sort of bite-sized chunks, you know, the Nigel Warburton-type methodology, which I Mm. think is quite helpful for making it more accessible to people. So, in fact, uh, a friend of mine said to me the other day, "Who is my?" he said, have you ever read any of the actual work of the philosophers? Because he's listening to podcasts and audiobooks and and so on to consume material, but it's all this uh, always um, potted versions of things. And I have to admit, that's how I... Get to a topic initially is you do a google you you read the versions of what they had to say and then once i get the gist of it it's a bit like working through Shakespeare. You know, if you go straight to Shakespeare, it's very hard to wade through. So you read the cliff notes, find out what the gist of it is, and then apply it to the original text to see the romanticism of it come through.
0: Yeah, I think that's a it's a it's a, it's a new phenomenon. I mean, it's um, it's certainly been true since I was a student. People tend to come to the original text after having read lots of secondary texts, right? And in some cases, that doesn't really make an awful lot of sense because you know something like Descartes' Meditations is a is a short very straightforward very readable text and yet people are, are reading accounts of it which are often quite unreliable i mean when you've sort of you know when you spend your time teaching this stuff and talking to students about it and other people and writing about it it's just striking how really wildly inaccurate some of the stuff out there is i mean
1: yeah well things have become memeified to a certain extent and uh, maybe yeah. it also reflects you know, the way that we access information these days in bite-sized chunks and it's easily digestible, ready to consume. We don't want to have mm. to search too deep. It's a little bit like that frustrating question, what does this mean? Well, what does it mean to you? And I think a lot of philosophy could always be interpreted in a quasi-spiritual way because you only the the writer at the time really knew what they were trying to get to, and maybe they weren't even quite able to elucidate it correctly either. So you provide your perspective or ex- level of experience to that, and then it becomes sort of washed through another layer of consciousness. So eventually you you have varying interpretations. And of course, how much of philosophy is philosophers arguing about what these things Meant in the first place, and, and what do we do with
0: this? It's true, it's true to a certain extent, but I mean, there's there's a core meaning that we convey when we talk to each other, and in a clear writer, it's you know you you can see what that core meaning is, and sometimes maybe there'll be uh, some of the more more niche connotations. You know, I didn't quite mean it in that sense, but more in that sense, maybe you'd have to talk to the author to find that out. But I I, I think yeah, a clear writer can convey the essential idea that they uh, have in mind. Otherwise, communication wouldn't be possible. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to talk to each other. Um, mm-hmm. I, I admit there are some writers who are, who are heavily obscure. And I also think, you know, a lot of philosophy, I don't like to criticise philosophy. There's too many non-philosophers criticising philosophy. But, you know, um, it's, it's hard not to be frustrated by, you know, work, which it seems to me, rather than think about, life which is what we're trying to do and understand things and come to some insights gets concerned overly concerned as you're saying with with interpretation you know what did this mean there are five different interpretations of this this sentence and i you know sometimes i just feel well who cares you know i mean you're not going to get to that and you know who thinks that the, the truth about reality is going to be contained in something that this guy no matter how good a philosopher he was said 200 years ago
1: so we can jump into the art of the conversation. I just did a little bit of work reading and learning about nihilism and existentialism. And it's something I think just as an individual, a person making my way through the world that, uh, like many others, try to grapple with this idea or this question of what is the meaning of life uh, and and trying to understand if the question even makes sense. And I think nihilism, I wouldn't say appeals to me, but it's certainly a topic which warrants um, consideration. And it's uh, on the face of it, it seems to be about the worst possible outcome of all things we could think of. Of What's the meaning of life? Well, there isn't one. Perhaps in your words, could you introduce how you describe nihilism to a student or a member of the public? What, do, what does it mean for you? And, uh, and and what sort of valence does it carry?
0: Well, I take nihilism as the claim that there is no meaning of life. There's no purpose that we're all building towards There's no grand narrative that makes sense of human existence. We're not here to do something. Humanity has not been put on this earth in order to achieve something. Neither is planet earth and the sun and the mercury and Neptune in a particular position, uh, you know, constituted of these atoms, etc., for an ultimate reason. Everything's not building towards some outcome. Okay. There's lots of ways you can put it, but nihilism denies that there's a meaning of life. Also... Um, I take it as part part of the kind of nihilism that interests me is to reject the idea that we can make our own meaning of life. I mean, there's lots of senses which you can give to that, but I don't think any of them are very useful, and I, I don't like the idea. It strikes me as a, a half-baked secular substitute for the original idea of a meaning of life. And really, what I mean, what got me interested in this in this talk, I think, like uh, a lot of people with a background in analytic philosophy, I came out, uh, my main interests were in consciousness, philosophy of mind, meaning of life seemed as kind of, you know, wishy-washy social issue. Um, but then I guess what became interesting to me is to just to think that, you know, that that is probably true, that there is no meaning of life. And I don't know, it just... I just suddenly started to see lots of ideas in the history of philosophy as attempts to deny that. And then I became, well, why? Why would you want to deny that? And then I became aware of this idea. I mean, maybe I was very naive. It seems to be something that everybody's aware of, right? Okay, that the meaning of life, um, without a meaning of life, everything's absolutely terrible and it all falls apart. I don't think I ever really was entirely aware that people thought that. Um, It seems to be common knowledge from from what I can make out that, you know, that nihilism is this dark, terrible, you know, disaster and we can't live without meaning of life. Struck me as very old. I thought, well, okay, it seems to me most likely that this is true. Right. Okay, I don't don't find it likely that there is a meaning of life right so is that the situation then everything's a disaster and then i started to see lots of currents in the history of philosophy as people trying to avoid this as they saw as they saw it terrible outcome um so i think having looked into it what i'm what i'm trying to do with this concept is just to um make people doubt that it is such a terrible thing Um, because I do think it's true and I don't think it's terrible. Um, I think within a religious perspective, it might have been portrayed as terrible because if there is a meaning of life, okay, then somebody who denies it, who denies God's meaning, a nihilist, I mean, they're the the worst, right? They're headed for hell because they've they've turned their back on the most important thing of all, the meaning of life. So, So within that religious context, I can see that you might think, that somebody who was in favor of nihilism would be, you know, setting themselves up for disaster. Um, but if you don't believe in that religious context, which obviously a nihilist was is not likely to, um, you know, if you did think that this was our reality was a product of a God who had some greater intention for us all, then you wouldn't be a nihilist. You believe in a meaning of life, presumably. Um mm. So if you are a nihilist, you won't accept that context. So then I it seems to me, why would you accept that everything's so terrible? It doesn't seem terrible to me. I mean, um, I'm not sure I ever really supposed that there was some great grand purpose to my life, but it you know, it doesn't devalue anything I'm doing, it doesn't devalue my music, my philosophy, it doesn't stop you from flying and doing philosophy podcasts. Well, you know, this this grand purpose, I don't see any evidence for it whatsoever. I don't see any reason to think that any human being has ever come up with a good reason to think that e- even an idea about what it would be. There's so many ideas about what it would be. I mean, what is it to worship our Creator? Uh, you know, I, I, I start to wonder how A, why does our Creator want to be worshipped? And B, how could anybody know that? How could anybody know that our creator wants to be worshipped i mean obviously uh, you know religious people will have their views about what this meaning of life might be um but i don't see any reason to think that there is one and i think that the reason people are so naturally inclined to think there is is because we live life a little bit like this um this is this is the main argument i made um at least in the early part of of my 2016 book philosophy and a meaningless life um that we, we, we have, we live within a kind of framework. We're always aiming towards certain goals and we, you know, this is how human beings live. We, we see things in terms of significance. So, you know, we're having a, a podcast interview at the moment, right? So there'll be certain success and failure criteria in both of our minds, you know, and we would try to get it to go well in this way and try to, you know, um, It could turn out a real bore, it could turn out interesting, et cetera. You know, I might say the wrong thing. We'll both have something like that, but either. That's what human beings do, that they set up goals and they see significance in there. So in in a sense, we've always got a purpose, right? And we flip from one purpose to another, right? As soon as this is finished, I'll I'll have the very minor purpose of going to make myself a coffee. I'm sure I will, right? And then I'll open up my emails and then I'll have the purpose of, you know, I've got to deal with an academic conduct case. So I'll try and say the right thing to my colleague, but I'll also try and get that done quite quickly because I want to get on with some writing, which I'm doing a bit later on, you know? That's it's what we do we always have a meaning a purpose right but it's self-imposed it comes from our desires
1: but it seems those are all sort of things that we need to do or expected of us or that we populate our, our time with mm. and we sort of narrativize our life in that way uh, mm. but we still maybe have a uh, or people like Take some sort of comfort, or um, feel as though it's all part of a bigger picture. So there's always going to be some aspects of life which are, you know, not as enjoyable as others. Certain menial tasks that we have to perform, but we are still able to work towards things we're passionate about, or that we may believe gives our life more meaning. So having a coffee or answering our emails may or may not provide that meaning for us, unless maybe you're a coffee connoisseur of some sort. But um, otherwise, they're just sort of little things we get done while we're working towards some other greater purpose that we create for ourselves so
0: i think of it as expanding circles you know that this little purposes lead to other purposes lead to bigger purposes you know lead to bigger career goals you know if i'm writing a book that's a big goal ahead you know but is you know it's not as big a goal as you know my married life you know kids and stuff like
1: that you're going to quote yourself back to yourself so you might incorporate that into your 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 further answering but um it's one that just stood out to me and where you you said in um, philosophy and a meaningless life you said that it is only the conflation of social value with the question of the meaning of life which makes the meaningless of life seem bad and so i think that really captures the interest for me particularly from a psychological perspective as well where we start to integrate these ideas into this whole idea. The very question itself seems to be a product of our consciousness that or, or something we've evolved to seek meaning. And it seems to be the greatest joke on humans is that we've evolved a level of consciousness that surpasses anything else on the earth, as far as we can tell. Yet we're sort of doomed to this seeming eternity of all uh, the absurd you know, argument of Albert Camus that we seem to have a drive to find a meaning or a purpose, however great or small. Yet we're doomed to never find it, and uh, that that seems to be a social problem rather than a philosophical one. In some ways,
0: I think I I think I would disagree with Camus on that. I mean, I I agree with the analysis that you know that's how we live. As I say, little circles expanding, this purpose leads to this purpose, this leads to this purpose. I see it's like a, a good thing to me. I mean, that's how we get things done. That's why human beings don't starve. You know, we make the project to go out and kill the mammoth and, you know, make ourselves some clothes. And, you know, these days we're making projects to, you know, try to not mess up the environment, etc. cetera. Um, so, you know, that's, that's how we live. But because of that, because this structure of our lives is always kind of like an arrow pointing to... To this goal and then that goal and then that goal people have come up with the idea and it's been reinforced by religion that there's some ultimate goal that there's some that it all kind of adds up to one big arrow that points to a, a final destination um now if you think we're doomed to believe that Okay, And, you know, it's only because of the big arrow that our lives have any importance at all, then you will accept Camus conclusion that our lives are absurd. But I don't accept that. I don't see that. We just seems to be false. Um, That's my nihilism, if you like. Um, I just don't think there is a gram, a gram meaning and I don't think we need it. I just think it's just a is an error created by our way of life because there's lots of little arrows. We, we just naturally assume there'll be a big one, and then religions have told us that there are, and religions have told us that without the big arrow, everything's terrible and awful, and people have been suckered by that. Okay, just reject the big arrow is what we nihilists say.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems to be. Um, you know, I agree, and and it makes perfect sense. But I, I do also feel though that. It just sit uneasily with a lot of people uh, for some reason. You know, it seems like about the most obvious thing that you could um, come come up with. Just a priori, that that without, in the absence of anything else, it seems pretty clear that there can be no meaning just by dint of. How things work, um, and how we are here. We don't have a big voice in the sky talking to us. You know, everything we think we know about anything, we've come up with ourselves. Nothing was handed to us. So, it um, sort of it seems like there's just too much uh, of a leap of faith that has to be made. And uh, yet, even so, um, obviously, any religious person will disagree with that. And then a lot of people who are not religious, maybe agnostic or even atheists may still feel like you ask a lot of people, what's the meaning of lives? I think a lot of people will give some form of an answer. Uh, Not that many people would say there isn't one, you know, and whether they are saying that because they feel maybe it would not be a popular answer because people would think, well, geez, you know, it's a fairly pessimistic way to see the world what about love and to raise a family and to, you know, some other scientific type explanation for the meaning of life. But none of these seem to re- really answer the question. I-, I think I'm just a bit hung up on the question itself and uh, whether just asking the question is a very human thing to do because in a meaningless universe, um, the question doesn't exist because uh, it's only us who bother to ask it. You know, asteroids orbiting something, are not concerned about the purpose for their existence, they're just existing until they don't. <laughs> mm, yeah, and uh, so it's a human phenomenon that we even have this question. In fact, uh, pretty much all other animals, or anything as far as we can tell, they also don't ask this question. So uh, it, it then becomes something of a uh, very anthropocentric question as well.
0: Very much so. John Gray's recent book—I don't know if you've seen that—Cats uh, and the Meaning of Life—is um, mm-hmm. making this this very argument. I mean, Gray's line is that you know, cats would never ask about the meaning of life, and uh, that really shows how silly human beings are <laughs> cats cats are better off you know it's this mm. it's this is typical kind of philosophy philosopher being negative about philosophy line which i do enjoy reading him but i could avoid i'd rather avoid that sort of stuff <laughs> but yeah i mean it's yeah true it's a human phenomenon. you you're not going to ask about the meaning of life without consciousness and and language and mm. i would add that if you have our way of life mm. Um, which is what's made us so successful our goal orientated nature then it's going to seem natural to you that there might be a meaning of life but as you say nobody's really got any idea what it would be um and yeah some people do have religious beliefs they think there's a meaning of life i don't i don't want to disagree with with those people i mean I, I disagree with them but i don't certainly want to dispute them or persuade them otherwise i mean that'd be mm. awful right if, if this belief makes their life so much better and they're happy with it that's great you know i mean mm. i i don't i don't have that belief but you know if people do and it's doesn't do them any harm that seems fine to me um i think what i'm more opposed to is the atheist reaction that you know well i take there's, there's kind of two things I'm opposed to. I'm, I'm opposed to religious people telling atheists that they're missing out on on, on something big time and, you know, nihilism leads to disaster, etc. And then I'm opposed to atheists who accept this and say, wow, we have to make our own meaning of life because then it all becomes very vague. As you say yourself, you know, OK, so what is the meaning of love, of life, love, perhaps um, success, you know, fame? uh t- moral perfection I and mean, there's no no nobody can tell you what that is because it's just a it's just a jerk reaction to the lack of a religious meaning of life i mean meaning isn't something you can build up because there is no you know the only the only notion of a meaning to human life that makes sense as far as i can see is a purpose for humanity and that's certainly not something we can make we can't make ourselves a purpose we can desire to do something um but then that's the you know the purpose is just a product of 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 our desires it's not something which is baked into our existence or baked into reality itself
1: the next thing then would be what are the implications of this and then it leads to this question of ethics and morality so if there's no framework by which that we can uh structure ourselves so if we take a religious meaning or purpose and this is how thou shalt live one's life out of the equation kind of left with this blank canvas and obviously the world we have today and all of the history that's led to this point is our attempts to uh, try and reconcile what to make of this complex social world that we live in and we've made a balls up of a fair majority of it by the looks of things. But it does make me wonder then if people look for hope that there is something they can use as sort of the hub of what is right and morality and ethics. And this sort of is nested within this idea that the meaning of life is to be is love or to um, be kind to each other uh, and, and so on to not make a balls up of it. Then if we are adrift without a purpose, then how do we begin to find an ethic Or or what is the bedrock upon which ethics are built if there is no greater purpose that we're, this big arrow that we're pointing towards? Okay,
0: so I think that the important thing to, to, to start with here is to make a distinction between, you know, something descriptive and something evaluative. Okay, so I can describe you as a pilot or a man okay i can evaluate you as you know um really good at doing these interviews or something like that okay so there's a description of what something is and there's an evaluation good bad etc um morality ethics is evaluative Um, the meaning of life if there is one or there isn't one that's Descriptive, that's a fact about reality. There either is such a meaning of life or there isn't. Um, Now, within a religious framework, it seems to me um, that many people would like to premise our evaluations on the meaning of life, say, to say, you know, you can only say that human actions are good or bad um, to the extent that they contribute to an overall meaning. I mean, I guess this would be the idea. And then the idea would be that if you don't have this support, you sort of like ripped away the support, then you can't have any morality and that's the sort of thing you see Russian authors saying at the end of the nineteenth century <laughs> okay without, without God anything goes etc because they're never saying mm. it in their own mm. voice they're only expressing it um in the in terms of and characters, characters ca- yes. and, and characters who may well be confused and uh, you know mm. um, so I don't think you can necessarily attribute that view to Dostoevsky or certainly not Tolstoy. Um, but nevertheless, it's an idea that's become popular. But it's, it seems to me if, if nihilism is just a fact, right, it's not an evaluation, right? If I, you know, when I say, I think that like, this is this is why I use that title, right? Philosophy in a meaningless life. Because if you make the mistake, I don't think I've ever explained this anymore before. Here you go. It's but if, if you make the mistake of thinking of it, of it as an evaluation, it would sound like I was condemning life with that title. Okay. Mm my point is that i'm not right it's just a fact about reality it's it's Mm kind of like saying um philosophy in uh, a biologically supported life or you know Mm and in a a carbon-based life um Mm -hmm. you know we evolved on earth um we we you know we're in the galaxy the milky way We're carbon-based creatures these are Mm -hmm. facts they're not evaluations nobody could think that was a terrible thing to say about us um Mm, mm. so if nihilism is just a fact about us then it's not an evaluation so calling our life meaningless is not saying something bad about it it's just describing it it's just Mm. saying as a matter of fact okay it doesn't have this
1: kind it doesn't have this kind of meaning i think it's touching on taboo to be saying something like that, because we can, all of these other things are facts, which, you know, I don't know how this computer works, the microphone and the stuff works, but I know it exists. And therefore there's something tangible about it. You know, everything that I see around me has a meaning, a purpose, because it's been created for that purpose, which I understand. And yet the very consciousness, which I'm using to interpret all of this information is the only thing that, doesn't have a purpose yet. That somehow seems like a social taboo to admit that, because uh, otherwise, life is folly. What is the point? So, mm. uh, yeah, I, I guess I, I understand what you're saying. That it's an evaluative uh, way of thinking about life, a- and yeah, personally, I, I, it doesn't change anything whether there is or there isn't a meaning of life, or, or better to say. Because there is no meaning of life, that doesn't change anything from moment to moment. You know, my mm-hmm. life is still needs to be lived until it can't be. So no use giving up on the project in the meantime.
0: See, that's what I like about it, right? That's what I like about nihilism. If you, if you, if you, if you see that, if you start to just see it as a neutral fact about reality, it's an amazing fact. Here we are, purposeful beings, throwing ourselves into goals, enthusiastic about all kinds of things, you know, but we're just here for no reason it doesn't add up to anything <laughs> yeah. it's almost like a cosmic yeah. dance or something like that i mean it's yeah. a, a it's a way of seeing the whole of the whole of reality mm. um, and that's what i think people don't do enough i mean mm. that's a very philosophical thing to do to try and put your life into a wider perspective you know that's something that science does to a very small extent you know, they, you know mm in a the, in the sense that you can see how far away some of the other planets are. And you know, in of mm. spatial terms, philosophy can do it in in terms of matter more to human beings in terms of significance, feeling
1: mm.
0: our reality, what it's like for us every day.
1: Mm. In, in many ways, it actually gives me a sense of um, great hope and optimism and actually a great sense of urgency as well, because uh, if you think that the meaning of life, particularly a religious or a spiritual one, um, a purpose for our existence here means that there will be a reconciliation of some sort, and that things will be okay. You know, it's this idea mm. that everything's going to be okay. Well, in a nihilistic universe, um, things might be okay. They might not be. They probably won't be. All things are through entropy are going one way. That's for sure. So yeah, that's uh, the point.
0: Tracy and I emphasized in 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 our, in our defense of uh, nihilism. Tracy Lara. things could go wrong. That's right um as it's quite a dangerous thought move to mars and (laughs) yeah that's right you know believing in in a meaning of life can actually on a a kind of cosmic scale be a pretty dangerous thought and i and i also think the idea of building up your own meaning with an everyday life that can be a pretty dangerous thought as well because if you decide that the meaning of your life is i don't know to become the top pilots in such and such and then you you don't then then you have to look at your meaning of life as as kind of a failure you know and i think people do that generally you know with Mm -hmm. as i was saying another interview the other day it's like with eight billion people in the world right if the meaning of life is kind of you know something which we all have to achieve and build on then you know naturally most people aren't going to you know you can it's an idea that condemns most people to failure you know most people are just trying to I don't know about most people, but a lot of people are just trying to, you know, do some work so they can go home, maybe, you know, play a computer game, have something, ha- go out to the pub on a, on a Friday, you know. N- pay you know not get their kids get into trouble in school you know get by stay reasonably healthy cut down on their cholesterol etc cetera, etc cetera, right okay i mean mm-hmm. you add all that up right if we start saying that you have to go out and have a meaningful life well some people will start big charities and save lives and whatever okay are they gonna uh some people will come up with scientific theories that are very important to people um but most people are going to have meaningless lives, pretty much. If you think of it as, a, if you think of it <laughs> yeah. as evaluative, so you know, I think, mm. think of us, think of us all having a meaningless life in a non-evaluative way, and you're going to save people mm. a lot of stress, a, a lot of stress which is created by ultimately a confusion,
1: performance anxiety yeah. to uh, be accomplishing this grand purpose. Well, yeah, <laughs>
0: well, exactly. It's a right. purpose that nobody can specify exactly because nobody even knows what it's supposed to be. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, I get. But the other danger that, that I see with that, though, is um, devaluing or undervaluing life as well. Then, so if uh, we say, "Well, no one's life really means anything," and this seemed to be where the existentialist movement is purported to have come from, through Sartre and um, Simone de Beauvoir, in the wake whenever you look this stuff up, it always says, "In the wake of the Second World War and all of the horrors that went on," as if uh, you know Nietzsche foretold that this was the way society was going, that when we lose religion, we inevitably end up in this place where we devalue human life or our purpose to such a point where, you know, where, uh, you know, Holocaust or um, ethics are created, which totally devalue human life. So I'm wondering how we balance that then. Do we just trust that, well, in a meaningless universe, we just trust that people are ultimately good somehow. This seems to be a cultural um, again a, a cultural psychological um, tool rather than a philosophical one so does the philosopher put too much faith in the goodness of humanity by giving up on the meaning of life
0: i think i think i think we rely on reason i think human beings want to live even the even rather misguided um, i might even say irresponsible philosophers who Propose anti-natalist arguments still want to live, right? Okay. They still write in their books. Um, on the basis of that, we can use reason to try and continue to live and to have a good life. Um, you know, Nietzsche predicted the catastrophes of the 20th century. Well, as I remember it, the nuclear bomb has been dropped twice, and that was dropped by a Christian country. Uh, the proportion of um Religious people in the world is going up, not down. Um, So Nietzsche seems to have been wrong about that. 80% of people in the world say they have religious belief. And, you know, with the way the population is changing, that seems set to increase. So, and as for, you know, needing a motivation, I just don't believe it. I do not believe that, you know, when somebody like Nadal wants to be the greatest tennis player in the world, that he's motivated by a meaning of life. You know, people will want to make money, to achieve great things, um, you know, to be a famous philosopher or well-paid pilot or the world's number one top tennis player. The rewards are are the normal human rewards that we all know about. It makes you feel good. You, you know, you you get a feeling of self-respect. Um, you've achieved something, you feel like you've you've done what you wanted to do, you satisfied your own desires. That's why people do things like that. Their lives become more interesting. It leads you to meeting more interesting people, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, right? Material benefits as well. You don't need a meaning of life to to motivate people to do that stuff. So I, I just I just think that is a false observation. It's a very common one, but I, I think it's false.
1: Well, people though, I think if you ask a lot of people, uh you know, who have been very successful in certain fields, uh, they will, they will say my purpose um, was to do this, you know, I feel like I was put here to do this thing. They don't know who put them there, but they are certainly convinced that because they have a natural talent or proclivity towards something, um, notwithstanding all of the luck and circumstances that had to align for them to exceed in the way they have, certainly had to have some level of work ethic and an aptitude for that endeavour. You know because there can be only one at the top of anything whether it's wealth or success in any domain it must feel to successful people that that was their purpose because otherwise everyone else would be doing it it seems like a way of justifying our uniqueness as well
0: i think that a lot of people do believe that, that i found what i was meant to do i found my true purpose etc that may help some people it may be very unhelpful to some people because they may have the strong feeling they found their true purpose and it may drive them on to make big mistakes.
1: The other side is that you you never find your true purpose. Mm. You, you think you're supposed to, mm. but you don't. Yeah. Uh, for whatever reason, you, it didn't work out for you and you feel like you've failed at life because that was what you should have done and, and you didn't for some reason.
0: I think the true nihilist will say to, say to people, well, you may believe you found your true purpose, but that's a false belief. False beliefs can hound <laughs> you, right? Uh, mm. Somebody going into, uh, into a battle, a young man with no battle experience in the old days who thinks he's invincible, won't be scared to run forward with his sword in his hand, and that might save his life. You know, if he was scared, he, he might be in more danger. <laughs> so, you know, mm. false beliefs, mm. you know, evolutionary psychologists out there, false beliefs have had lots of useful beliefs, uh, been, been mm. often been useful for human beings. But I think ultimately rationality believe in things that you've got good reason to believe that's what's done the most good for humanity. Um, And, Mm. you know, it seems to me that, you know, nobody's got a a purpose because
1: there isn't a meaning of life. (laughs) So I've just finished reading philosophy and meaning. Oh, oh, great. And, and I, I read uh, Defensive Nihilism. That was the first one I read. Interesting books. But I wonder then if 80% or so of the world is religious, y- your target audience is, is already 20% of the uh, gross population. Well, I
0: think the people who buy these books will probably be <laughs>
1: atheists. <laughs> 20%. You seem ambivalent. There's there's no meaning to life. You're satisfied with the calculus that gets you to that point. Why write a, write a book about it? Um, what's, what's the point? And trying to convert people or share that with other people. And uh, is there a way, as a side note to that, I guess the religious aspect is, is there a way that we can do philosophy in an unblasphemous way? Because uh, obviously, spiritual people would find this whole notion to be offensive to them. So, can we have metaphysical conversations which don't invoke? The paranormal or the supernatural or a higher being and and talk about these things in a way that is not offensive to people or is that impossible I, I, I don't
0: think i don't think it should be offensive to people i think if any, i mean i know some excellent religious philosophers who have engaged with me you know with deep christian views um and i think they find it welcome to see a, a, a you know hopefully you know a more consistent portrayal of you know i mean ultimately i'm pointing out a mistake you know if you accept atheism i'm 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 pointing out that it's a mistake to think of meaning as something you can build or something which we need a secular substitution for so i think i think a, a, a person with religious beliefs should appreciate that and that in, in a way i think it should open up a, a more of a course for for a dialogue right because you know we can have a more constructive dialogue if, if rather than the religious person saying you're a nihilist, that's terrible. And the atheist saying, I'm not a nihilist. I agree. It's terrible, but uh, you know, I can avoid, I'd, I'd rather have the conversation where the religious person is saying, okay, you're a nihilist and you think that's okay. And the atheist is saying, yeah, that's right. Okay. So let's talk about this. Why, you know, um, so mm-hmm. it's a less confrontational, you know, when nihilism ceases to be something terrifying that both, uh, you know, one side is using as an accusation, and the other side is frightened of. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just become something that you know the one side understands that that's a part of the commitment to your view, and the other side is saying, you know, it is my my commitment. You know, that seems to me, have bridged a certain amount of understanding there. Um, you know, f- brings mm-hmm. things together. But I don't, I don't think it's I don't think it's anything that you know. I'd I'd hope. I, well, I know that you know, uh, religious people have, have read my books and not being offended why do i write them well i i think as as you know um you know i don't think the idea of the meaning of life does secular people any good unless you think that there's one imposed on reality by god which many people do and i respect that um of course you know i'm I'm the most tolerant atheist you can possibly imagine <laughs> okay in that sense right Okay, obviously i don't tolerate you know you know, some of the nasty views that are promoted by religion. But, but I don't want to, you know, live in a world of conflict, etc. So, you know, people have different views and that's fine by me. I'll explain why I think what I think. You can explain why you
1: think. Well, I'm just wondering what leads you to write the books. Why do you feel compelled? Because
0: I want to dissuade people who don't think that there's an overall meaning of life from trying to build one. I want to explain that as a confused idea. Um, and also because I think it's amazing fact about reality. Um, And I want to encourage people to have Mm. philosophical thoughts. I see that's my job, um, finding things that people find interesting to think about and trying to clarify them. I think that's Mm. what philosophers have always done to a certain extent. As we were saying at the start of the interview, once it was about teaching a way of life. Well, I don't think that's how it is now. I think philosophical ideas are part of people's lives. And it seems to me my job to encourage people to, you know, not suppress it or not ignore it, but, you know, to to think about these ideas and consider them interesting. And, you know, I will suggest some ways in which you could think and other people will suggest others and you can decide whether you agree with me or the other person.
1: Yeah, it it sounds like it's not unrelated though. So rather than a a way of life and how we should go about our our lives in in detail, uh, it's more about a way of thinking about the world. And once we've established how we see the world, then it follows how we live in a certain way. Um, if we now you're providing the sorts of, well, this is the way the world is and the way you are. And therefore, that kind of uh, logically leads to a certain way that we need to live or should live that does the least harm and maximizes happiness or whatever currency you might be using to situate yourself?
0: Well, maybe, as some philosophers would 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 make that case, some kind of sort of prescriptive ethical views. And certainly, you know, I can be persuaded by ethical arguments and then I will try and do things differently, although it, it's it's hard. But I think what concerns me more, um, you know, my interest in, in metaphysical issues like this, is just that, um, you know, these are things I think people find it interesting to to think about. I think it's culturally enriching to think about these things. I think it would be a terrible shame if if it gets suppressed and people forget that these issues are even real, or they get persuaded by some badly informed scientists who write about as it seems to me, to sort of ignore these issues or not think about I'd hate to see them suppressed. It's like living without music or, or games or you know film or something like that you know it's it's something culturally enriching that people can think about and you can think about things in in better or worse ways you can have confused thoughts or you can have have clear thoughts so you know that's how i see my my role in society not just with my students but anybody who looks at my books is to um to encourage people to think about these things and say yeah this is it's, it's not it's not just okay this is a good thing and here's some ideas you might want to think about tell me what you reckon
1: you introduced your transcendent hypothesis in philosophy of in a meaningless life. And I'm wondering if you could explain that because I think it might get to this idea of making nihilism palatable and uh, what, what that argument means.
0: Well, that's a view on, on, on the nature of consciousness in my, in my latest book, um, which if you're interested, is definitely my best uh, it's called gods and Titans. Um, it's a new way it comes out in paperback in April at the moment. It's horribly expensive, but it's, it's coming out soon. But uh, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely my best. And um, I've changed the name from the transcendent I- um, hypothesis to, to idealism just to make more of a connection with the history of philosophy. It's not exactly the same as previous forms of idealism, but it's a it's a view opposed to um, materialism, um, which I think is I think materialism is false, which is um, which is. What are the big things that's happened to me in my life as a professional philosopher, right? Okay, I started as a materialist and I changed my mind. Um, okay, so I would never have expected that. Certainly, you know, when I finished my PhD, I was a materialist as as most young philosophers are. I think a good way of thinking about it, which I'll put it like this, is, you know, there's a difference between what actually exists and human explanations, And you can think of me as, you know, when it comes to metaphysics and the nature of reality, I'm a kind of skeptic about human explanations. Okay, so we could try and explain the kind of experiences we were having right now in terms of atoms, uh, electrons, and, you know, um, nobody will be able to give you a very good explanation, but we've got this kind of hand-waving explanation that ultimately that's what it all amounts to, etc. that explains everything. But that's something which explains things. Now, it seems to me those explanations in terms of this physical reality that's supposed to be out there, which becomes incredibly complicated when you get into, you know, quantum mechanics, and it all becomes rather mathematical and paradoxical when you actually look at what's happened in the philosophy of mind on the basis of these explanations, which are supposed to explain, you know, this physical organ within our heads called our brains, right? And then our brain is supposed to somehow explain our experience, but nobody can really do it. So if you look over the course of the history of philosophy in the last 70, of year, 70 years, it seems to me, and this is a story I tell more fully in, in, gods and titans, you know, what you have is a history of people progressively moving towards the idea that experience is an illusion, as they put it these days, that there really is no experience. All there is is, is, that, you know, the brain and the atoms and the electrons and whatever they say there are in the latest quantum physics, etc. That seems to me a very strange way of thinking, right? You, you, you go from an explanation of experience and you believe in the explanation so much, right? These things which we don't observe, right? But, you know, we can, we can, control things with right you believe in the explanation so much that you start to doubt your own experience um well what's the transcendent hypothesis what's um what i'm now calling idealism it's simply the idea that you know reality itself is the experience um experience you know experience is a reality and all the various human explanations of it need to be explained in a different way but that's not what's actually here which is what many philosophers have thought for two and a half thousand years in traditions all over the world. I'm,
1: so is there a certain dualist aspect to this where you're saying there's a certainly a material element? You know, we are made of this stuff, which we can measure and create calculations to try and explain its behaviour. But at some point, uh, consciousness emerges, and we don't quite know how, and consciousness is the embodiment of experience, what it's like to be you, and that uh, we've got no materialist way of explaining mm. that phenomenon.
0: Yeah, uh, metaphysically it's monist because I'm sa- I'm saying that you know ex- experience is a reality and then everything else is an explanation based on that reality. So we explain experience in terms of a physical world. That's how we make sense of it.
1: It's an interesting way of approaching it, and, and I think there's a lot of crossover to material science. I'm interested in the work of um, Donald Hoffman. I'm not sure if you've come across his stuff. He does this theories of conscious realism where he feels that. there is no real reality as it were reality is purely what we experience and uh everything that we experience is a version that is evolved well that exists through the way that we've evolved to interpret a reality if such a thing exists Uh, it's a little bit hard to explain Mm, i don't know
0: but it sounds it sounds like a similar bag i mean there's a lot of people who've He said that
1: Mm, he uses the example that when you look at an icon, your Microsoft Word icon on your computer desktop, that icon represents Microsoft Word, but it's a representation. It's not the ones and zeros that go into making that program work. You haven't got the faintest idea what that is. So uh, the icon is is a representation which you use to access this program uh, to serve its purpose. And you could say that our sensory, our experience of consciousness is kind of a, a similar layer that is removed from actual reality it's what we experience is uh is just a a version which we use to access it but it doesn't tell us anything about reality itself it's just our version of it so it's certainly compatible with nihilism of course because there's no more meaning to any of this than anything else it's just another way of explaining perhaps how we've evolved in the way that we have um is sort of utility um obviously and a selective advantage to being able to interpret the reality in a way that keeps us alive.
0: The reason I call it the transcendent hypothesis is, is the idea that you know reality transcends our explanatory framework. It goes beyond it, um, just in the same sense that you know in a dream reality transcends a dream. Okay, this is a, a sort of standard observation. So, um, you know, when you when you when you're having a dream, the whole world in which you are, you know. Exists. that's not the real world right if this were a dream right now then this computer would just be a dream computer it wouldn't be the real thing these wouldn't be my real hands they'd just be dream hands so 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 where would where would my real hands be well they'd be in you know i'd be i'd be sleeping in my bed and i'd be dreaming all this right so the real hands would be transcendent from this situation that's the idea Um, And then the transcendent hypothesis, that's kind of how reality works generally. Um, It's not that waking life is a dream, but nevertheless, um, you know, how reality actually is transcends our understanding of everyday waking life.
1: How do you feel about the idea of a self? I I follow the work of Sam Harris quite closely, and certainly anyone who meditates um, Mm. Buddhist philosophy, uh, this sort of stuff, you know, the the further you introspect in a meditative way, the less the self becomes relevant. In fact, that seems to be the state of Nirvana is to get away from this idea of the self altogether. Just as a final question, then I wonder how you situate the self, or if you believe then that there is a self.
0: Well, that is a chapter of the new book, Gods and Titans. And I talk about Harris and exactly all of the things you were just talking about. That. I'm trying to remember which one it is. I think mm-hmm. it's chapter six chapter five or six it's called soul and the reason I called it soul is because the soul is the is a traditional idea of of a self of some kind of substance that exists you know from day to day you know a unity of my experience very unpopular idea these days very unpopular idea and, and as you say buddhism seems to be a reason to think of it as a, as a kind of illusion in that chapter i argue that um, you know the the essentially ethical nature of that Buddhist doctrine um, has been kind of misunderstood in many ways. I mean, I've become quite interested in various strands of Buddhism. Um, I don't think, yeah, you know, I, th- I think the notion of a of a continuing self. Um, or a soul as it would traditionally be called obviously i'm trying to use that term without the religious connotations but rather in the same way as i'm trying to reclaim nihilism i, th- I think it makes sense i think it's presupposed by the w- the way we live yeah i sure i do think there are continuing cells
1: well let's hope sam harris reads your new book then and uh you guys can have a good <laughs> conversation about that and i'm sure you'll get to the nitty-gritty of it a lot better than i can <laughs> Excellent. So, yeah. Well, I'll wrap it up here. Thanks so much for your time, James. We've got a number of books. So the next one is coming out. Is it out electronically, Gods and Titans? Can I buy that on Amazon? It's already out on hardback. It's
0: it's it's already out on hardback and e and on and the e book. But the paperback's coming out in in April.
1: Excellent. Well, I shall um, move into that one as well then. Do you have any other closing thoughts? Anything you'd like to add that we might not have covered?
0: Not really. I mean, I've
1: enjoyed this conversation. Oh, thanks um, for your time. It's it's yeah. a heavy topic, I think. But uh, I, as I said earlier, you know, I like the way that you've made it accessible and light and palatable. And it's certainly reframed framed my thoughts on it uh, from um, sort of a fairly dark, no oh, that was a screaming child, a, a dark <laughs> aspect of philosophy to um, uh, something that's actually full of hope, as I mentioned, and um, gives that's me a little... You know, some optimism as an atheist to feel that I'm not missing out on anything or I don't need to replace my loss of faith or lack of faith uh, with something else. You know, it's quite acceptable to just uh, live life um, with uh, purpose from moment to moment and safe in the knowledge that um, there is no grand scheme that needs to uh, that I need to use to reconcile things. So thanks for helping me clarify my thinking.
0: Well, I can honestly say that's exactly the kind of reaction I would hope for
1: thanks for listening to this episode of the here and now podcast you can find us on facebook at the here and now podcast or twitter at here now podcast if you haven't already please subscribe to keep up to date with all of the latest episodes and if you want to support the podcast you can find us on patreon or leave a review at the apple Podcasts app you can reach out to me via the pages or email the here and now at gmail.com thanks for listening and we'll see you next time